Welcome back to Owned and Operated, where we dive deep into the businesses we own, the businesses we are acquiring, and we also bring on guests to talk about their operating struggles. If you like what you hear today, follow John and Brandon on Twitter. That's John at Wilson Companies and Brandon at Brandon Niro. Also, check out our weekly newsletter where we teach you how to be an effective operator. You can sign up by clicking the link in the description of this podcast or by visiting ownedandoperated.com. That's ownedandoperated.com. Check it out. Okay, today Brandon and John go head to head, talking about their opposing opinions and workshopping some problems. One dynamic you'll see in Brandon and John's relationship is that they both have two very different ways of thinking about specific problems and solutions. And on this episode, Brandon and John get into it, discussing things like how large of a team a single service manager can handle or how we started budgeting and our concerns about how it affects creative problem solving at the manager level. On today's episode, you get to see the two hosts you know and love expressing their opinions and problem solving some company-specific issues. Enjoy. If you listen to our show, you know that we can spend months sourcing businesses, talking with them, negotiating LOIs, conducting due diligence, all for a deal to fall through at the finish line. MicroAcquire solves that whole problem, whether you're buying or selling a business. As a seller, you're getting introduced to over 50,000 trusted buyers with total anonymity. As a buyer, you get to sort through profitable, vetted sellers and close in 30 days. We don't own any digital businesses yet, but over the next year, we're intending to grab a couple, and MicroAcquire is going to be our choice for a sourcing platform. Welcome back to Owned and Operated. So today, it's Brandon and I. We're going to be talking about a few things that are relevant in our business today, some decisions that we've made and argued and fought (laughs) bitterly. (laughs) Waged wars. Waged war with each other over. Some I won, some he won. Majority Uh, me. Most I won. And and yeah, before we dive into that, make sure you check out ownedandoperated.com. Leave us a five-star review wherever it is you listen to podcasts. And... Check out our newsletter. Sign up for our newsletter either on our website or on my Twitter. All right. We've got a couple topics. Which one do you want to do first? You tell me. You're in charge. I'm just ready. I have my – I have like prepared my cases if, if I have to argue anything. Okay, perfect. All right. Well, how about we do – we'll do like a recap one. So this is the one you probably have the case prepared for. This was your <laughs> idea. This was your topic. So, All right. So a few episodes ago, we were discussing how much can a service manager handle. Woof. Okay, so we decided, should we like re-give the context? Yeah. We'll, get, we'll give some context. Okay, so we follow a model called SGI, and what SGI says is you can have six to eight or eight to ten. I think it's six to eight, and we said nine was realistic. Yeah. Okay, you can have six to eight technicians per field manager, and they felt like that was the ideal amount. Okay, so, so we've been running that model for a while but it brings some interesting issues. So I think we can give a quick pros and cons. I'll give my pros and cons. You can insert anything that you feel like I missed. So the pros, not like 
they're definitely managed. Yeah. <laughs> like a six person team with a full-time person overseeing them, like probably micromanaged. Like there's not a lot of activity going on. <laughs> so they're definitely very well managed at six to eight. So not a lot of mistakes happen. If mistakes do happen, they're caught very quickly and you can just be on top of what's going on. I'd say that's probably the biggest pro. So if you're doing like training and consistent coaching and that type of thing, six to eight is probably good. Really easy to onboard at that number two. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I guess I don't see another pro. No, no. Not after looking at it now, the supposed pros are your training is more reactive. Your customer service in theory should go up because you're avoiding issues before they happen. The ride-alongs are more consistent because you're riding along every other week versus once a month. It's really kind of, I guess it would be sales-based, gets easier, and the supposed customer issues would be reduced at yeah. that number. Yeah. Okay. The cons, I don't remember what we listed the cons as a couple months ago. I think that I, I know I have a different perspective of what the cons are now. Yeah. So one the, the reason we started, we basically decided a couple months ago, on, either on or directly after that episode, <laughs> to keep going with the model that we practiced. One of the big arguments for going against it and increasing team size, so the idea was, hey, instead of 6 to 8, let's go to 12 to 14. So the big argument there was most other companies run that size, and obviously it still works, and then we would be able to raise comp for the field managers. So good arguments. We started recruiting for a new acquisition we brought on, and we couldn't find a service manager for exactly this reason. So we tried to go find a service manager. The team is very small, like six techs, I think. And you're just not able to pay what you need to pay, especially in 2021 market. Yeah. For a field manager with the type of experience that we were looking for with only six techs. So we basically revisited it. And we're like, hey, we're going to, in order to make this what we need to make it, this is no longer a pro and con. This is like, not only are we not going to get good talent, but we're going to lose good talent if we don't change our management structure. It was good for that growth point when we were trying to put management in place at an affordable rate and figure out the process. But now that like the, the puzzle started to fall together, it's ready. You need someone who can actually implement and utilize it to its full potential. And you're not going to find that with someone if they're coming at that rate, they're typically not going to be skilled and we're having to train them from ground up versus bringing somebody in who already knows how to manage a team of that size. Yeah. Yeah. And even as we're saying this, like, I don't think this is the long-term perfect solution. The way I'd like to see this going is in a year, two years, when we cross like 16 to 17 techs in service in that, in that company, we go out and then get a second. You know, someone has 10, someone has seven. We build back up. But I don't think we can ever get to the point, again, where it's groups of six. Yeah, it never goes low. And I think, like you said, it's, it's kind of building steps. The six was good to start with. We're definitely going to stretch to our limits here with this current plan. I think it's going to, you know, the logistical things of it too, we're talking across two locations yeah. sprawled across an hour of service area. Well, realistically, actually two hours to cross the service area, an it's hour between area. locations. So it's, it does create some challenges. There's some hair. But 
this is also probably the best way to align everything under one common management. Yeah. And then hopefully allow it to grow enough to where either hopefully we can split by location and each location has enough people for a manager to take over. Yeah. I pre- I pretty much completely agree. Yeah, so that that was an interesting one. So the current model we're going with is we did decide let's go with a, it's probably more like 13 to 15 techs for one service manager. And we're good with that. I actually think that that's a reasonable size, but I think the moment you break 15, it's like that's a lot. Yeah. There's a lot going on there. And it also depends on what other tasks or areas of responsibility that they have in their daily life. And it, it does it does complicate it too that we are multi-trade. You know, they're they're covering HVAC and plumbing service. And it does it does take a little bit of I don't even know what you call that. There's some nuance to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's where we're at now. Interesting. Hopefully that helps somebody. I think try either. So what we're finding is with install, we need, like for project management stuff, we do need a six to eight just because there's like a lot more that can go wrong really quickly and someone needs to manage budget. But for service, we're going to be experimenting with this model for a little while. All right, cool. What else did we have up? Yeah, we really should have wrote that down. <laughs> we're doing annual planning. We're prepping for quarter one. We're doing some budgeting. That's right, yep. Which one sounds the least boring? I'm going to say budgeting just because I get to really? say John changed his mind and finally agreed. <laughs> okay. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about budgeting. I want to tell, I want to tell like a, here's a thing that I find funny. I have always found it funny when I meet a small business owner, like I'm talking like small business, like sub three, four million in sales. So like you've got a $3 million company and this company is like the most organized they do their annual planning. They do quarterly budgets. They do all this crazy, like amazing corporate level stuff. But they're a small company and they don't try to grow. So they overmanage what they have. Okay, so I've, I've seen a lot of that. And my, I guess, long-term stance on budgeting was we never needed it. Because one, I controlled the P&L. So it was in my head. I know that that's dumb, <laughs> but like in my brain, that was like, I was like, yeah. But I also think that it limits some creativity and like it, it limits the entrepreneurial spark. Yeah. Okay. I still believe that. Okay. That said, like not having a budget worked all the way up until it didn't work, which is now. Like now we need a budget. And that's great. Like I was... It was kind of funny. I was I was going through a deal that we were about to do. This was like a month ago. And I started drawing out projections. Just like back in napkin math. And it was like this. <laughs> I wish you could have seen my face. It was like an epiphany. <laughs> it was like, it's like I had met God in that moment. I was sitting there and I was like, oh, okay. So we can just, what if... I was basically zero zero based budgeting. So mm-hmm. when you start from zero. So I rebuilt this company's overhead just on the back of a napkin real quick. And I was like, you know, it'd be really interesting. What if we just gave them a set number? What instead of percentage, what if we just said, hey, your overhead can only be two hundred thousand for this location for the year? 
And like, I just like sat back and like reveled in my genius at that moment. I was like, oh my God, that's incredible. This is the greatest idea that's ever happened in the history of ideas. And then I'm like, oh, that's budgeting. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it, was, <laughs> it was, it was pretty funny. But yeah, anyways, after that, like literally like the sky opened up, there was a beam of light and I was like budgeting. We're going to do it. <laughs> so, yeah, so we tore into budgeting. I don't know. Like, I know my perspective. It's been interesting. What's been yours? I'm just like, finally doing it. Like, I get I get the beginning of it. Yeah, when we were smaller, it does limit the things. We probably wouldn't have moved as nimbly as we did with things like marketing, and that's – it helped a lot. But now, when I'm trying to take over the P&L from you, and I can't, you know, I don't have like a – I don't have a log me in to your brain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I kind of, you know, got to know what you're thinking. Yeah. It's password one, two, three. Yeah. Nice. Thanks. <laughs> Capital yeah. P. I don't think you have a subscription. It, it expired. <laughs> it makes it way easier for me to be able to understand. I think we're on the same page for most things, but you know, budget is, is obviously something you always handled. And if you're going to step back out of it and I have to know exactly what you intend to see out of it so yeah. I can then effectively do it, it makes it way easier than me having to come to you every single time. Hey, what do you think about this? Well, now it's, okay, does it fit or not fit? Very simple to work with. So I'm glad it's there. I think it's going to be really interesting to see how we go through the first, you know, we forecasted for all 2022 based off of some data from 2021. So I think it'll be really interesting to see how that plays out for the first round of all this and how we actually manipulate it and really get it fine tuned in. It'll also be interesting for some of our newer companies in the portfolio that just don't have quite the data to really work off of. But I think it's going to be good overall. I think it'll help align some problems that we've had routinely in spending. It should hopefully force us to become more efficient with our marketing and with our, our labor and material usages, it'll force the hand on some stuff that we've probably been laxed on like negotiating. Yeah. I think all this is great. I mean, obviously budgeting makes sense for the size and type of business that we run. Let's go off totally left field here with my original fear with budgeting, which was that it limits creativity. Okay. So I think in our culture, as a company is I'd say scrappy. Yeah. Entrepreneurial. We like we all like to win. We're creative. You know, we're sort of an odd bunch that come together and work very well together. I think that's cool and fun. And like how do you when you start to it's this isn't just budgeting, but this is just like institutionalizing in general. But when you start to go corporate, which like we have <laughs> just like we had to, you know, obviously not full corporate, but like there, there's, we've had to enact practices. How do we keep that entrepreneurial spark alive where we're constantly looking for like, not just ways to cut costs? Cause I think that that's the thing that budgeting turns into is it's like, you've got 10 different ways to cut costs and maybe one way to drive new revenue. Oh, in my mind, there's two different realms of creativity, Right. There's you limit creativity on budgeting when you just say, this is the way we do things. This is what the budget allows us to do. Therefore, no. The other side of creativity is, hey, here's your budget. Do what you need to do with it. Make it happen. If you want to try you know, a, a new marketing technique or something, go ahead. Here's your limitation. You have to put it within this budget. But we're, like you said, we're different in the fact that we're not the previous one where it's, no, we do radio. You're going to spend this much radio. Here's your, okay, at the end of the day, there's nothing. You can't change the marketing budget is what it is. Yeah. Where you have routinely always like, if someone brings up the idea, it's like, okay, try it. Make it work within this, but you have rain to do what you need to do. See if it happens. If it doesn't, okay, we have a fallback. 
I but guess I, I guess even thing. outside of that, and I, I think I agree. I think that you can there is creativity built into a structure. I totally agree with that. And maybe this concern concern is a bit more like ethereal. I'm concerned that as we continue to grow, as we continue to sort of rigidize or whatever you want to call it, like the ideas come from the top. Mm-hmm. They come from me. And I don't think I don't think that's a great idea like I'm the one that drives it mm. but you know if we're doing an act if we're doing an acquisition in a new industry it's because I wanted to do it yeah it's not because like somebody else on the team had this like great idea which I feel like it should be more of that like how do we promote an entrepreneurial spark across the whole thing so I think part of this leads into the conversation we just had before we <laughs> recorded this podcast is the concept of you actually preparing to step back out of the company. Because like you said, it routinely has always come down from you. And as of right now, the routine plan is when there's something we need to do, everyone looks to you. If we succeed in doing this and actually pulling you back out of the day-to-day and for actually a time even remoting you out of the office to where people stop looking at you, I think we enable the creativity. People have to start getting creative. Okay, we can't just go to John and he'll have the solution. We have to figure it out. Get the team together. Let's work on an idea. Let's bounce some plans, see what it works out, run the concept and make sure it makes sense, but we can figure it out. The team we have in general, like I said, they're scrappy, but we've also kind of done at the same time, trained, work smarter, not harder, and you are the smarter version right now. Is The smart version is go to John. Don't sit here and try and reinvent the wheel. He probably has something up his sleeve from, from the Twitter sphere or something like that, where if we don't have that as the fallback, people like Jennifer, she's creative as hell. She can come up with a plan. Holly and stuff like that. If you pull the crutches away, I don't think any of them are going to fall. It may take some teamwork to build it. It may take a couple you know, renditions of it to figure it out, but I think we have the teams capable of, more than capable of figuring it out without having to come to you every single time to get that. I don't think it's just about ideas, or I don't think it's just about problems. I think it's more ideas of what does future growth look like. The growth, that's a little different. Growth to me versus your day-to-day creativity within the company, trying to, to grow revenue internally, I'm going to call it organically, Versus visionary driving, that's two different things in my mind. Like no one's ever going to repeat the vision or not repeat, recreate it. That's you, it's your company. You're the driving visionary. But the day-to-day crypto, how do we make more revenue off of what we have? Like we're not going to go buy another company. How do we generate some or how do we pull it from other people? That's what our team's for. You are the one that's going to say, okay, here's the driving vision for the overall 20-year goal. These are the companies I want to acquire. This is what I want to do. Here's what I want it to look like overall. You people have to actually help make that a reality. I think there's two different things there. Yeah. I want not just ideas, but talent. I don't know if we've talked about this on the show yet or not, but the whole high potential candidate problem. Not a problem. It's a great thing. But when someone starts to come forward with good ideas, how do they get, how do those ideas, wherever they are in the organization, and I don't think this is something we're going to solve today, but I'd love it if someone who's listening has ideas for how they do this. But if someone, no matter where they are in the organization, has an idea that will either, like hopefully just an entrepreneurial idea, how do they bring that up in a way that is constructive? And in a way that like like every idea is great. Because it can't just be one guy pulling hundreds of other people from his brain space, which is what it'll be. If we don't come up with a way to sort of do this, you know, I have a 
I have a friend who runs a company, 40 or so people, and they're in the trades. And they have a really interesting culture where they do this well, and which is awesome for the trades. Granted, it's a smaller team, but like somebody will come up with an idea. Like, hey, I think we should do this. I think we should do this like random, like, like more water softeners or something like that. And I want to run it when it gets big enough. Like, that's sweet. Like, hell yeah, absolutely. So then they develop like a sort of a multi-year plan to get there. And they've done that twice now with these little divisions inside these companies. And I think that's awesome. Do you think the, was that like technician level? Yeah, that was a tech. Yeah, some tech had, had that idea. And, and that's happened a couple times with them. That is something I would say we for sure lack in. I think we've done a good job as far as a leadership team and, and making it known that ideas and concepts and thoughts are welcome. And like, we'll take the time to literally sit down and run over right then and there. Let's, let's talk about it. But with the technician side, while we don't limit it and we don't cut it off, we don't encourage it necessarily. If someone brings it up, hundred percent. You know, we had a key example of a technician who did that, and we had shoot multiple conversations. I mean, you actually had them ride along with you for an entire day to kind of see what the whole thing is. We don't discourage it by any means, but we also don't put it out there like, "Hey, I want you to come bring ideas." Like, bring them. Let's talk about it. So, how do we become that? Like, I I don't think that being a top down, you know, John's the mastermind is the culture that either of us want long-term. I think we want a creative, collaborative culture where everyone wins. Off the top of my head, honestly, I don't know. I don't know. I would agree with you. I'd be curious to see if someone is out there successfully doing it. How do you get that good balance to where a technician feels comfortable with it? And and how do you work with that too? You know, if it's, if it's something that doesn't work out, how do you keep them encouraged? Not just, you know, one idea doesn't work. How do you keep them continuing to want to think about it? I feel like come it back starts and talk with asking. Yeah, Maybe. Like you just walk up, hey, how are you doing? What do you think we could do better? Let me interesting. I think I think we're setting the base for it potentially good. We focused a crap ton on culture this year. The events of bringing people together in a social format to get used to talking in general and just being open. So I think like the the, the base is there. I don't think it's really correlated yet to creativity and, and want to talk about growth. But if we can get the concept of just the open communication there. I think that's a lot easier to build. Hey, let's talk about your your ideas on top of that versus a closed culture that doesn't talk and doesn't have community or you know friendly events and things for people just to to chat. Yeah, don't know how you build it. Yeah, like you know, that's that's something we have to figure out how. But I think we have a good base for it. All right. Well, this will be one that we're going to continue to dive into. I think I'm interested in where this goes. It would be interesting if anyone who hears this does this successfully. We should have them on the pod. Yeah, for sure. If you feel like you have or know of someone with a really collaborative, entrepreneurial company culture, I'm sure it starts the way we said, where it start it starts at the top where we make sure we just every day we're asking, what can we do better to literally anyone that we see? And then ideas flow up from there, which like we do to a point. We're not these like overlords sitting in an ivory tower. I just think we can be better. Yeah. But anyway, sorry. If you do this well, please reach out, shoot a DM. We'd love to hear. We're always wanting to get better. Yeah, heck yeah. All right. You have any closing thoughts for us, Brandon? Any wisdom from the field? Brandon's moment. <laughs> nice, nice. I'm going to bring that one up every time now. Oh, now i got to be prepared for it. All right. No, I honestly, right now, it's the break from the podcast was it was like probably the most crazy thing we've done in a while of 
just what happened because of that. Mass amount of change happened. A lot of additions. A lot of things have changed. Even I would not, not the not core values, but the core of how the company operates. Yeah. So yeah, a lot happened in the last month. We integrated. We got busy. We got down to work. <laughs> yeah, we got down to work. Yeah. I guess it's not really words of wisdom, but the novelty of scale and John's preaches forever. And I just never like, you can tell you see it. You can always hear about it, but when you see it, it's like, holy shit. It's happened. It is nuts. It is nuts. There's my ominous word of wisdom. Scale is a freaking thing. Yeah. It's incredible. It's incredible. And we're just starting to sort of reap the rewards of that, which is awesome. <laughs> it was a hellish couple of months, but damn, it was worth it. Yeah. I mean, it was like the moment we got there. Yeah. Like there was a switch. So within a few days too, it was like it hit. Yeah. And it was just, whoa. Yep. Yeah. That was partially having the right people on board, being able to afford those right people. That was having the right systems in place that we've been building for the past couple of years. But it sort of, it all clicked once you broke that revenue point where it was like, oh, we just outgrew our overhead massively yeah. it was like not yeah <laughs> went from drowning it to surpassing it yeah like hilariously so yeah now scale's awesome get big <laughs> don't stay stagnant don't stay stagnant yeah cool all right good episode if you have good culture ideas let us know follow us on twitter check out the website operated.com. and make sure you check out our newsletters All right, thanks for queuing in.